Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So we have another awesome episode today. And um, yeah, we're going to be talking about some interesting sci-fi films. And before we get to the film we're going to talk about today, I wanted to cover a couple other interesting topics in the world of sci-fi. So um, I know that you're like a big Star Trek person. So there was a new Star Trek Discovery season three trailer that came out. I wanted to, you know, just get uh, your feelings about it. What would you thought that made you more excited for the new season of the show or not? Yeah, um, I'm really excited. I'm curious to see how they're going to take things in season three because they're, they're way past any point in the Star Trek timeline that we've ever seen before going into the future, at least. Um, so that's really exciting to me. We're seeing some, some familiar alien faces. Um, we got some trills in there. I forget the name of the species, but there's a, a species from Enterprise that's also thrown out there. Um, Starfleet doesn't exist anymore, basically. And um, what I hope for the most is some Andorian representation <laughs> because we have not had a full-fledged um, Andorian character since Enterprise. Um, I always hope for that, though, because I love Andorians. Mm. Um, but yeah, it looks really exciting. Um, people got really mad when she changed her hair for some reason, the character Michael Burnham, and I just don't get it. They're, they're, they're scratching at every little tiny thread that doesn't yeah. exist. So, um, mad about her hair, okay. Uh, yeah, it's not like time passes or anything and you decide you want a new hairstyle. It's it's really interesting how people don't think of <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, that's never happened to me before. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's not like I wake up one day and think, oh, you know, I think I might do like a, a fade today or I yeah. don't know, let it grow out a little bit and do a pixie. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see whether, where they'll take things because it's something we haven't seen before. And um, yeah, I, I'm rooting for them. I really am. Mm -hmm. And so this, this show, it takes place in like the main timeline, right? Yeah, it's the prime timeline. They've just gotten, mm -hmm. they've been thrown into the future, basically. So it's very unknown. Okay. And like, are, are some people sort of unhappy about the fact that like they've been sent into a, like a more tumultuous future where like, I don't know, it seems like things are kind of bleak. more, yeah, bleak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That has been one of the main <clears throat> um, complaints about the show is that it's very dark and that it doesn't have that same hopeful optimism that we get with POS or even next generation. Um, but then I would just tell you, go watch Deep Space Nine, and you will see very little hope. You will see very, mm -hmm. you will see, you will see a lot of death um, and yeah, destruction yeah. and despair. And some of the greatest episodes of Star Trek, in my opinion, are from Deep Space Nine because it shows a more realistic future. Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody is always going to get along. Some people have really, really nefarious motivations, <laughs> and there, it, there will be war. There will be war. Yes. Um, even in TOS, they reference Romulan, the Romulan War and conflict. So it's not like it just went away. And that's the thing that I'm I'm fine with the the, the bleak aesthetic mm -hmm. because it speaks to a part of me. Um, <laughs> but I think if I think people just need to because this is just the show's been being set up to send us to this point. Mm, so okay. I think we just I just think people need to calm the frick down and. <laughs> It's television shows like Star Trek are allowed to change and they are allowed to evolve. And I think they're pulling more from Deep Space Nine. And I, I don't think people really like it. I think Star mm. Trek purists don't yeah. like it, um, who are mostly in their 70s and are afraid of change already. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 I feel like that is 
That is pretty spot on. Um, I feel like the people that I've been hearing that have that are more in the puristy, you know, the original series, they have given those exact kind of criticisms like, oh, it's too bleak, you know, there's all this conflict and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and um, it's not to say the show is perfect. It's not perfect. It has its issues. I completely agree with some of the complaints, but the fact that you just want a hunky-dory future where everyone's best buds when they first meet each other. Like, people in season one, there's a character that is in com- total conflict with Michael the moment she meets him. Mm. And later on, they develop a friendship because that is what happens in real life. Sometimes yeah. you meet people on a bad day and they don't like you. And yeah, you have totally. to work around that. <laughs> like, this is... this. The show is about human behavior, and sometimes we're in conflict with one another. And I think it makes sense. Yeah. I feel like, you know, this kind of brings up, we talked last week about the movie First Man, and that that film takes place during the 60s. And, you know, again, like Star Trek came out in the 60s. That was a very different time, the early 60s in America. People were very optimistic. People were excited. You know, in 1960, John F. Kennedy, this young guy very very good public speaker and like kind of excited this this sort of this want to do more in the country Ask not uh, yeah and then he got shot in the head um <laughs> yeah and so you know like times change right like yeah. sometimes we're maybe i don't know in another five six years we'll have another optimistic time in our country I, and i think we these will, things will fit more what what predated you know <laughs> the 1960s was World War One, World War Two. Yeah. I think yeah. Korea was in the 50s. Um, I could be mm-hmm. wrong about that, though. Um, so, like, all of that, all of that sadness, all of that, you know, bleak, dystopian, almost, attitude kind of faded with, like, this newfound, you know, hope. Because a new generation was in their teens and their 20s and their 30s, you know, and we're going back to more, you know, being more of, I feel like there's less thinkers, you know what I mean? Like less public thinkers like James Baldwin or, mm. you know, like, uh, like prolific writers. You're like, no, I don't ever see writers on like late night television shows anymore. Like that was Johnny Carson had like, te- there was television shows based around interviewing authors and thinkers and almost like new agey philosophers as hippy dippy as that sounds. Mm-hmm. I feel like there isn't that anymore. We just see Kardashians or hype house whatever the hell that is i'm still trying to figure out what that is or jake paul's of the world there's no thinkers anymore yeah no i mean i i think i i feel like a guy like neil degrasse tyson is like yeah, the is, equivalent right yes but he, he's one of many who i don't I, you, I feel like you really have to go digging for them not that i'm i'm afraid of doing the work of going looking for them like some of the youtube people that i watch i I specifically watch because they are those thinker types. Yeah. Um, I don't subscribe to a lot of channels that are just story time videos. I don't like them. I like listening to people who will shake my, my views, who will make me change my mind about something. Um, I kind of forgot where I was going with this. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. I, um, yeah, I guess it was just sort of comparing the time. Yeah, the time periods and now, stuff like and, that and yeah. how everything changes. And I think we will return to a hopeful, optimistic age. But I feel like you have to go through the dirt a little bit in order to get – you have to get to the other side. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, You know, they, it, this sort of reminds me – like our time period now, it's a little similar to the, the 1920s in a bit. 
the early 1920s and like because there was a there was a pandemic and then a depression basically and but then we came out of it and i mean that took getting a war and all this other stuff i doubt that we'll need that because i feel like we've learned a lot more about how to fix these economic problems thankfully Hopefully, so yeah. i don't think yeah i don't think we'll have to have a prolonged 10-year depression but <clears throat> i think there will be sort of a a an, an age where we're kind of like out of this problem and people yeah. are going to be more optimistic and like want to, I don't know, look forward to things finally. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what will this time make us feel like in 10 years and how will our children look back on it too? You know, like, Oh wow. You oh yeah. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. yeah you, <laughs> you live through COVID. Yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's babies being born now. COVID babies, you know, like, yeah. And it's it's crazy. It's like, you know, yesterday I was thinking, you know, yesterday was 9-11, and I was thinking a lot about how mm. I felt when I was 11, because I was 11 when it happened. Oh. And my mindset, I remember just being very happy, and then it changed. Like, yeah, this, you know, like how Tony Stark says, I want to put a suit of armor around the world. I yeah. feel like it did happen. I feel like that has happened, except it's it's really not great. <laughs> It's really not great. I think it created a generation of anxiety and ne neurotic behavior that is, you just can't shake it. It's just traumatizing. Yeah, it's, it's trauma. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a collective trauma that, you know, those things are hard to shake. Yeah, but what came from that was people being kinder to their neighbors, people going and putting yellow ribbons up or volunt people volunteering to go to Ground Zero. It, it, it as tragic as it was, it brought so many people together. And within weeks, months, it just kind of tore everyone apart at the same time. Because then, oh, now we're at war. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. Um, well, I guess on a <laughs> no great transition there, but on a lighter note. So also the trailer for Dune came out yes. uh, this week. Um, and that was really, really exciting uh, to see. I don't know, like, what were your feelings about seeing that trailer? Oh, it was, it was nothing like I had imagined reading it, but that was fine. It was okay, because the descriptions of Arrakis sometimes are so, it just kind of goes on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it's also kind of vague at the same time from what I remember, but it just, it just, it was great that it wasn't what I imagined, and I, I just... I loved every shot of it. Like I said, I watched it a few times and oh God, Timothy Chalamet, is that his name? Yeah. He Chalamet. Looks great. Yeah. He looks great as Paul. Um, you know, I never imagined Paul being a very, you know, happy looking kid. Um, <laughs> and Timothy Chalamet kind of brings that out. Um, I don't know who, I can't remember the name of the actress who plays Jessica, but I, I thought that was really great. You know, she's young enough to be a young mom, but old enough to look wise and, the, mm -hmm. the, the scene in the trailer with the Bene Gesserit is just in the box. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that 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 stuff is really is really good. Um, yeah, is it Stellan Skarsgård who's playing Baron Harkonnen? I think so. Yeah. Because that was creepy. That was so. Creepy. Yeah, when he came out of the thing. That was so gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like emerges. Um, it's like what? I. I I started listening to Dune on audiobook first, and then I kept falling asleep because it was honestly the narrator's voice was so soothing. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I had it's to put you up to sleep. Yeah, so I put, bought the hard copy and started from the beginning over again. Um, 
but they did they hired actors for the audiobook um for the different characters and the guy who played the baron was so gross like it was mm. like he was such i don't know who he was but he was such a good voice actor he just creeped me out like some of the lines are just so gross i just keep yeah. going up that word because he's supposed to be like gluttony and like oh okay and and like i'm trying to think of another word to describe the baron but it's just he's just nasty Oh. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the cast is like unbelievable in this it film. Is, right? It is unbelievable cast, and yeah, I cannot wait to see how they bring these characters to life. Like more from the more than just what the trailer gives me. Because um, oh god, I love Oscar Isaac, but I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, like you just if you've never if you've never read if you've read the book and everything like that, then you just you know what's coming. And you're like, oh, I love this actor. He's mm-hmm. gonna be so sad. It's gonna be bad. <clears throat> and I, oh, Zendaya, what? <laughs> like, damn girl, you look great. She looks so she looks so at home in that world. Totally, and they, you know, they're setting them up to be together, right? Uh, Zendaya and Timothy, and it's, you know, it works. I think for sure. Yeah. Um, and knowing what happens with all of that, it's just like, oh, this is going to be such a beautiful love story. <laughs> it's going to be so mm-hmm. hard and beautiful. And <clears throat> he's going to, he's going to be Moadib, man. Moadib. What I like too is, you know, at least that trailer really kind of focused on like, you know, all this stuff about, about Paul and like his, you know, he's having these premonitions and it, it really kind of gave me this kind of Godfather vibes because like he's he's this guy who knows that something bad's gonna happen to his family mm-hmm. and he can either kind of like retreat and recede or he can sort of jump on the moment and sort of claim his, his family's sort of legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite it being good or bad, it just, you know, he, he's thrust into it and he has to act in order to save it. Um, yeah. And I really like that. Yeah, heavy is the head that wears the crown, man. Because it's especially in, in the world of Dune, like it's unforgiving, it, and you have to be just as unforgiving. Um, it's why the Baron has succeeded so well. You know, there's so much political and monarchical intrigue as well, because there's dukes, there's barons, there's I think it's an empress too, or something like that, or the princess. Um, oh, what's her name? I forget. I didn't really see her in the trailer. Um, basically, she's the girl from who. Paul is supposed to be betrothed to in the book. Um, I'm not sure if she's she's going to be in it. I hope and for if they make further films because it's such a it's an epic. It's an yeah. epic in every way, and I cannot wait. Um, oh, and everything with Duncan Idaho, like ah, there's so much. There's so much you don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of like the fight scenes and stuff? Like the oh, stuff they that they showed. Good. They look mm-hmm. good. I, they, they look very, very good because again, like when the book was written, I feel like there wasn't all that much. There wasn't a lot of like martial arts action in books. If that makes any sense, that's the best way I can describe it. Because um, when did the book come out? Oh God, was it like the fifties, maybe. I feel like probably the nineteen fifties. Um, it would. It probably would have been way before that. I feel like. I feel like it wasn't really popular until you know, pretty much like the the. The stuff that came out with like um, Bruce oh, Lee, pretty much. Um, 1965. So 65, that's actually okay. later than I thought it would be. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. like it's it's going to be interesting how they portray their fighting styles within the storyline. Um, because Duncan Idaho is like a master like swordsman and you know martial artist basically. And yeah, I'm I, I'm looking forward to it. 
immensely. There was this, they, they had this huge thing for premiering just the trailer and it was, they had Stephen Colbert interviewing all, like all the cast and Denny Villeneuve, the director. And he, Stephen Colbert asked, um, he asked Jason Momoa, like who would win in a fight, Duncan Idaho or Khal Drogo? And, and he said, Duncan Idaho would win easily. It was so funny. <laughs> I agree with that. I actually 100% agree with that. I thought that was amazing. That was such a great, like, question. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny Stephen Colbert did the interview because I heard he's a huge nerd. He's a huge nerd. He's, like, yeah, he's way into like, all this stuff, like Lord of the Rings, Dune. Yep. I, I knew about the Lord of the Rings stuff, for sure. Um, there's that famous clip of him and, uh, oh, uh, what's his, he's an actor. He always looks stoned. I know that probably doesn't help. But anyway, they, um, James something anyway they he had him on his show and they were like going back and forth between who knew more about the lord of the rings and stephen colbert just went off on it and it yeah was, <laughs> was like, this guy is just an encyclopedia of, of lord of the rings knowledge yeah like he has studied it yeah totally i mean almost almost all of it i mean i i speaking of neil degrasse tyson there was a time where neil was on and there was you know they were talking about there was this uh I think we talked about this last week as well. There was this this object in space that we couldn't identify. And they were talking about, oh, what could it be? Could it be this? Could it be that? And then he brought up, uh, Stephen Colbert brought up, oh, maybe it's this thing like Ringworld from this book from the 70s where it's like this massive thing en encompassing a, a star. And <laughs> it was just like off the top of his head, he's talking about these super nerdy, like, like very deep sci-fi references. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I love to yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 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 a cool dude. I mean, yeah, it was like the perfect guy to to host that because he's like really into the material. And he actually. will let you know if you are wrong. Yes. <laughs> he will. Um, but yeah, it feels like they're getting it right. Uh, yeah, it does. From which is really really exciting, and I hope this film does really well because I want to see more films and. You know, they even have a TV show that they're going to try and start. Is it in, um, is it accompanying the film or is it yes. its own thing? It should be accompanying the film. Okay. Because mm -hmm. I'd hate to see them do two separate things at the same time. Yes, that would be terrible. That'd be, that, yeah, that would have been terrible. That'd be a bad idea. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I really hope that they get it right. It'll be very easy for them to get it wrong. And I think there's yeah. plenty of examples, early thousands, sci-fi network. Um adaptation that was i actually rewatched a few years ago i'm like i thought this was cool i thought this was cool at one point um it's bad um but yeah <laughs> yeah sometimes you just gotta take what they give you right <laughs> it's all it's, it, it's, it's what we got even then it's still bad mm -hmm. even then it's still bad but you know they've been talking about doing dune i've been hearing this being in the pipeline for what 10 years probably at this point and the fact that it's finally happening is just it's amazing in and of itself because it's a huge undertaking because it's a massive world with tons of rich characters good and bad and i can't i can't wait to have more i hope i get yeah. burned out on it that's how much i hope they get <laughs> yeah totally same here um I, I i cannot wait i really hope that we get to see it this year um if not oh well i guess we'll have to wait but that was definitely like way up there it was like that and tenant were the two films i was really looking forward to seeing in 2020 um tenant mm. eh. yeah you mentioned it last week it was not yeah. that it was, not, it was okay yeah 
Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I'm hoping Dune is better. <laughs> I think it will be. Uh, it has to be. Yeah, if it has it, to be. If it is not. <laughs> oh, God. Could 2020 be any worse? They can't afford to have it be bad. They, they can't, can't, yeah. They really can't. Yeah. We can't afford to have another bad Dune. Yeah, yeah. That would just be the end of everything. I'll take a B minus over what we've had before. What we've had before has been pretty not great. It just I feel like Dune was written for 1965, but it should be made for a film of the, now, if that makes any sense. I feel like the technology wasn't there for them yeah. then, and it is now, and that's that's okay, you know. Um, I think it, I think it's technology-wise aside, <laughs> and the actor and the caliber of actors we have today make it a perfect storm to be good. Mm -hmm. I hope. Yeah, and also like you know, we take the genre of sci-fi more seriously now. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was it was <clears throat> nerdy kid stuff, you know, like oh, grow out of it, you know. But here, read yeah. Catcher in the Rye. That's a real book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I don't bother. <clears throat> now, yeah. now we see it as just as legitimate as any <clears throat> any genre. Absolutely, I think it's um, always been as legitimate. <clears throat> it's just taken some time for people to see it that way. Exactly. So, yeah, I think we're both excited for Dune. <laughs> um, yeah, well, maybe we'll review it at some point in the future on this podcast. Oh God, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. So, um, so you've been starting, you've been doing it for a while, this thing for Septemberfest, right? Um, and so, I don't know if we talked about that, but what exactly is Septemberfest, this, this <laughs> thing that you do yearly? So, so, I'm the only person who participates in it, but you are more than welcome to join me. Um, <laughs> But basically every, you know, when the spooky season starts rolling around, which in New England generally starts the 1st of September, everyone throws out their lawn chairs and puts out their pumpkins. Um, I watch as many horror, suspense, thriller films as I possibly can in the month of September. It's kind of like I try to beat my record. I don't think I'm going to beat my record last year because I've started very late. <clears throat> and um, because horror is not a uh, genre that I generally really like or actively speak out. I don't sit down and scroll through the Netflix horror genre section. Um, so I try to make myself watch some movies that I otherwise wouldn't have seen, and then I review them at the end of the month or some time in October when I finally have time to edit all of them because I do sit down and review each one. Um, and yeah, I give my recommendation, and I always take recommendations throughout the month of September. My list constantly changes. If it, if it is streamed, but usually based on whether or not it's streaming. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what Septemberfest is. I, I like it because it gets me um, in the position of watching something I wouldn't have ordinarily watched. Cool. Um, so have you uh, been watching some stuff? Like what have you been looking at so far? Um, I watched Midsommar. I started it off with that because I've heard really good things about it. Um, I loved it. Uh, it spoke to a lot of how I've felt about certain things. I've never had a tragedy as um, appalling happen to me in real life. However, I've had I've had shitty boyfriends, and that sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, the men <laughs> in the film suck. Yeah. They are the worst. Yeah, um, they're really bad. But it it they all serve a purpose in the way that they suck really badly. Um, mm -hmm. One of the characters is um, doing a paper on cults and um, communes, basically. And he sucks in the fact that he is so driven by his work, he ignores everything else that goes on around him. Another character sucks because he's just an asshole and pees on a family tree, um, which I knew. I was like, Some of, he's going to go. He's going to be yeah, the first one to go. Um, 
And I was fine with it. I was totally fine with it. Um, and the boyfriend is just a bad boyfriend. He won't, he's only staying with um, the main character because it's easy and it's familiar. And he won't, he doesn't want the responsibility of breaking up with her, quite frankly. Um, which I, I get breaking up with people is difficult, but like there is yeah, you can't no, lie to people. You can't you can't lie you can't keep lying to people just because it's easier. Yeah. Um, especially when you have every intention of cheating on her. <laughs> even before yes. even before they go to Sweden, he has every intention of cheating on her. I yeah. firmly believe it. They're not even living together. They've been going out three or four years and they're not even he hasn't even taken that leap to be with her. And on top of that, I get the emotional weight of being with someone who is going through a lot of turmoil. I also understand that because when she calls him and she's just found out her family's dead, that wailing is so genuine and his reaction is, now I'm really stuck. And I know, selfish, yeah, that's so it's, bad. It's a selfish reaction, but on the <sighs> one hand, I kind of, now, like, if he was going to break up with her, he's never going to now. He is never going to now. And I do think he understands where she's coming from, but he's too selfish to really take this up as an opportunity to try and fix their relationship. He can't fix her. She has her problems and she has to deal with them. And I don't think she's asking him to fix her, but he's not using it as an opportunity to try and just be there for her. He wasn't even going to ask her to go. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. He's so bad. And the relationship is so toxic. I mean, she, I think she has a bit of, because like the whole, that whole film was kind of like the director, what he talked about, he, he said he wanted to make a film about the, the intoxicating drug of nationalism. Okay. And, and so, you know, the cult is sort of seen as this sort of this representation and an allegory of like European nationalism pretty much. Okay. Um, and so she uses their, the cult as a way of like, finally being able to, I don't know, I guess sort of be happy, right? To because, be happy, to belong. Yeah. She doesn't have a family. Mm-hmm. And the sad truth is, is that as much as we'd like to think Danny's making these decisions on her own, she's being manipulated by the guy in the cult from day one. He gets her yes. to go. Yes. He, is, he is preying. Yeah. He is probably the worst predator in the movie, in my opinion, because he is preying on the fact that she has no one. He knows her weak. Yeah. Yeah, he knows mm-hmm. she's weak. He knows yeah, she's yeah. serious <laughs> mental health issues. And he knows she's the perfect one to join. Because what if they mentioned that, oh, we pull outsiders in to repopulate so that there is no yes. problem with inbreeding. Mm-hmm. So they pull her boyfriend, who will be a breeder, and then they can just get yeah. rid of him. Then they, pull, Kill him. <laughs> then they pull her, who you know is going to end up with this guy who manipulates her from day one. Like, he even kisses her when she becomes a yes. And she is yep. that's the most physical affection she has had throughout the whole film you know they're gonna end up having kids in this cult like it at the same time it's so messed up on so many levels it's just like it really is and at the on the same time that scene where she after she finds out her boyfriend you know is doing it with this girl in a barn the the women bring her into like where she sleeps and they're all screaming with her yeah i felt that dude on so many emotional levels where all you can do is just scream all you can do is scream Because you're just you're you're angry, you're sad. She's probably relieved in a lot of ways. I would be honestly, um, but she she just has no other. She doesn't have words, and they're all just screaming with her. Like I I cried a little. I'm not gonna lie, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. cried a little. It's very emotional film. It's There's very so emotional. Things. There's so many things happening. 
I mean, by the way, how old was that that girl? By the way, like that, like that's that's wrong on so many levels. I think they said she was fifteen. Like that was oh, she's ready to mate now. <laughs> like it, it was wrong on a lot of levels, but it's wrong on so me. many levels. It doesn't surprise me in the context of a cult at all. It does not yeah. because there are some cults who do way younger, and that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. That so. that film that film was something. Yes, it was. <laughs> something else and i i honestly enjoyed every second of it <laughs> even though i was like danny just get out he's not yeah, yeah. not trying to be your friend he's not he's trying to indoctrinate you and he he successfully indoctrinates her and even though everyone's really welcoming specifically just to her everyone else is kind of you know like oh hey how you doing to the guys they're zoning in on danny like a hundred percent like she is going to be i wonder if she was intentionally made the maid queen the maid queen because they knew how much she needed that it feels like it feels like a setup right like the whole thing feels like a like a setup to get her and to brainwash her into it because you know i mean like what's the last shot of the film she's happy she's happy for the first time in the whole film and what do cults prey upon weak people who have nothing people who have been traumatized who have no who have probably no faith whatsoever like a religious faith and who are looking for something, who are looking for a family, looking for validation, looking for comfort and a home. And on paper, that sounds really nice, <laughs> except for when they stuff your boyfriend in a bear suit. <laughs> and that other guy, they like, they like rip his freaking body apart. Mm. Remember that there was like the guy who was flayed and like his lungs are hanging out? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and the chicken coop, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like the boyfriend walks in there and he's just like looking at this guy who's flayed out. Mm-hmm. And then and someone, yeah, yeah, drugs someone, him. Yeah, drugs him. What I thought was probably <laughs> interesting. One of the most interesting scenes in the film was when they see the old people jump off the cliff. Yeah. And the reactions of the two Simon and I think that his girlfriend and then Danny with her boyfriend. She grabs him. She's shocked, but she can't look away. But she, I think that was the that was to desensitize her to violence because I think um, the guy who brought them already knew was kind of, she had seen some things and had dealt with her sister and her, then her parents. But I think it was to completely shut off any, any other shock really. Cause if, Oh, if I can shock her into seeing someone jump off a cliff and smash their face open, then I really got her. <laughs> now she's really, really numb. Yeah. Especially if, if you accept that, if you accept that, she then did. there's nothing else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He jumped. She screamed. She gasped or screamed or something, but she's yeah. just staring. She can't look away. Because that's going to be her. Her mm-hmm. her and the guy who, right? The guy who like recruited her. Mm-hmm. At some point in the future, they're both going to jump off the cliff and get their head smashed with a mallet. Yeah. But again, it's that manipulation <laughs> of, well, what do they do for them beforehand? They make them their last meal. They, they, they're worshipped in a way. They're um, taken care of. They're, they're seen as, that's what I want to be. That's going to be me one day. Oh, I can't wait for my day. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's so, it, there's so many things going for it. And I really, I, I would watch it again, honestly. <laughs> that, that was one I, I don't think I could handle seeing it again for myself. <laughs> it was just, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like hereditary, hereditary for me. Like that, that's something I could not do again. It's like a little too dark. Yeah, that's but, on my list, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, but Midsummer, I liked it, but I, I was like, man, I can't, I can't. Like his films, they're just some level of like it's just too much depression and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, 
<laughs> I get that. You do have to be in the mood to watch one of his films. I get that. I know what you mean now when you said you have to be in the mood to watch Hereditary. Um, yeah, because so. it's like it's like Midsommar, but I think it's it's even deeper. Um, and you see the characters go like you know the end. So the end of Midsommar, the character is happy, but all this horrible stuff has happened. Um, in Hereditary, a lot of horrible things happen, and it's I'd say it's more of a downer the ending. But okay. in the 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 course of the film, they're very similar. Sad, sad, sad. Depression, tragedy, tragedy. You know, <laughs> that's just that's just what he deals with. In is just like tragedy, tragedy, tragedy. Depression. You know, exactly. <laughs> just his forte. He's got Ari Aster. I hope he, he does. Happy. I hope he is okay. I hope he's fine. <laughs> he, I think he's fine now, but it it comes from himself. Mm-hmm. It comes from his his family and his experiences. It's not out of nowhere. Like it is motivated by his life experience. So. Yeah. All right, well, you know, and sometimes it'll be a hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, are there were there any other films you've watched so far, or um, was that the only one? I watched Apollo eighteen, which was about as I try. I I shoved a found footage in there, so it was okay. Um, it was all filmed on like genuine, um, like the type of film it would have been filmed on in the seventies, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, just a found footage monster movie on the moon wasn't that great. Um, had a lot. It didn't know what it wanted to be. It didn't know if it wanted mm. to be rock monsters or spiders or I didn't know what it was trying to tell me, honestly. So I was just kind of like, yeah, this is fine, I guess. Um, and then <clears throat> I watched uh, the remake of Pet Cemetery with my boyfriend and I hated it. Yeah, I heard bad I, things about that. It was terrible. I was like, for, it just, I feel like with the book and with even the original film, it it built up to something like it built the suspense a little bit more, had a little bit more foreshadowing. Um, the remake was it just was bad. It was so bad. The best part of the movie was the cat. Honestly, that was the coolest looking cat I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> I loved that cat. Cause he definitely, um, this cat has a, after church gets hit and he comes back, his face is lopsided. And I mm. just thought that was such a, really interesting touch because before he's like he's like a fluffy Maine Coon looking type of cat but now he's just like matted and gross looking and slimy and the cat was just so good <laughs> he was a very good actor cat I liked him <laughs> um, the cast wasn't bad it just I just didn't like it I didn't like how yeah. they changed the ending <laughs> I didn't like that they missed all they cut so much from the book that was important to the story about especially why Rachel hates death so much and doesn't want to talk about it. Um, a lot of her being Jewish plays into that because um, there is no heaven <laughs> in mm. uh, um, Judaism. Judaism. In mm. Judaism, yeah. So that makes her even more terrified of death because she has that background of her faith. And her parents were a more important part of the story. And just there's so, so many things, that they, so many important things that they cut out. And I don't know why, um, maybe for editing purposes or maybe for they wanted it to be a certain length of time. Yeah. I don't know. The time, yeah. But they, they cut out Ellie basically being psychic. <laughs> um, yeah. The violence was okay. Um, I, would, I would watch the original or re just read the book, honestly. You don't need to see the remake. It's bad. Yeah, I heard bad things about it, so not surprised. Mm. Um, I don't know. They've been on Stephen King kind of fever pitch 
Yeah. And some oh, have been jumped, good. Yeah, they've jumped on the bandwagon of it, which I honestly haven't yes. seen. Yes. Um, I don't like clowns. And just <laughs> watching the trailer was enough to make me not want to watch it. Not because I think it'll be bad, but because I, I think I'll throw up. I think I will definitely throw up. Because I can I, deal with violence, but... I saw, I saw the first It with my dad, just like sort of on a whim. Because, you know, yeah, I think the trailer was really impressive. That... The opening scene of that film is is something something else. It's just really like gruesome. It is gruesome. They they because you know in the in the the one um like the mini series yeah with it's basically, mm-hmm, it's basically the same scene. You know he sees him in the in the in the drain and he's like oh hey Joy come on down yeah. <clears throat> but we don't really know what happens right like oh you just never see him again no. Mm-hmm. No, this, this, you, we know exactly what happens to him. And yeah. it is horrific. It is horrific. Yeah, that's why, that's another thing. Like, I saw, like, I think on YouTube, there was, like, the first, like, five minutes probably cut down um, of, like, that scene. I had the worst anxiety watching it. I could not watch, because I know what's going through Pennywise's head. I know. And I don't need to see it. I don't, I don't think I need to see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, because I just... When I'm looking at a character that's salivating over a child, I think I'm I know. Good. I think I'm good. He he's a it's a child predator, right? Like he's a child predator. Oh yeah. Who's a clown? Who's also like a demon, um, cosmic horror entity? Yeah, exactly. And it's just I don't because I I yeah. project the faces of of my friends' kids, and I can't get mm-hmm. that out of my head. And then it's just just to protect myself. <laughs> I I don't think I can. I know. Maybe that makes me sound like a wuss or something like that. But for my own peace of mind, I know what I can take. And I just, I, I just can't, I can't watch that. It's too much for me. I think, I think I was like sort of legitimately shocked and like, I don't know. It, it was something that it blew me away. I think that's really the right thing. It blew me away. Like what they did. And cause like, then, you know, okay, all bets are off. If you're going to do that to a kid. I mean, what, what, what could you not do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if if we see you do something really horrible to a kid. Yeah, and the kid's cute. And yeah. Nice, <laughs> and I can't. Yeah. yeah. I just, because, especially knowing that there's real life monsters like that who aren't a cosmic entity and are just John Wayne Casey. Yeah. Yeah. Just some dude who's, you know, that a is predator. Yeah. That is, that is pure. Cause that, and again, that plays on the fear and the horror that pure evil would be something who would not care about eating a kid. Yeah. Totally. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, I guess in celebration of September Fest, we're going to do a review of Altered States. Yay. This, this 1980s like psychedelic sci-fi horror movie. Interesting, uh-huh. very interesting film. So it's William Hurt. He's the star of this film. And uh, he plays this guy, Dr. Eddie Jessup, who's this, you know, he's uh, he's got a PhD, super smart guy. Very interesting character because this guy, he feels like, he feels like, like if you, I don't know, if you went to college and you met the guy who was like, like to do drugs, like to experiment doing drugs. This is that guy, but he had a PhD. He has a PhD in, in getting high. Yeah, pretty right. much. Um, and he's very good at it. He's very, he's good, very at, good at it. He's very good at getting stoned and tripping out. And 
embracing those trips because a lot of the time, you know, people freak out when they have a trip and that's what makes it bad. That's at least what I've heard. I've never done psychedelics personally. I'm very, I'm very interested in doing it, but I would, I don't think I, I think I would have a bad trip because I'm, I'm anxious enough to ruin it for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but he basically just embraces the trip and just goes along with it, whatever it may be good or bad. Um, and it gets progressively worse. Yeah, it gets progressively worse. Um, and the other, uh, one of his other, I guess, assistants or someone who's working with him is this guy, Arthur. Um, and he's played by this guy, Bob, uh, Balaban. I think yeah, it's his name. Something like oh, he was? Seinfeld, yeah. Oh, he was also, he was also in Close Encounters. Oh, he um, was? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the scientists, one of the main scientists, the guy who speaks French. Okay, yeah, um, you know, I was thinking he actually kind of looks like um, the main character from that film. I, I can't remember anyone's name right now. Um, oh, you're talking about Richard Dreyfus? Yes, he looks like, he actually looks like another Richard Dreyfus type. He, kind of yeah, character. he does look like a Richard Dreyfus type. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, though he's in that film. I haven't really seen him in much else than that. I, I guess. I need to rewatch Seinfeld, I guess, and I'll pick him up, see him. <laughs> um, he's um, been in a lot of those movies. Like, have you ever seen like A Mighty Wind or Best in Show? Oh, the Christopher Guest kind of yes. films. Yes, he's been oh, in that. Okay. He's been in a couple of those, and he's pretty good. Okay. Um, especially when there's a lot of it relies on improv. He's very good at it. Um, oh, okay. He usually plays just like a character who's really excited about something that's very boring. Um, hmm. That we that we would think is so mundane, um, but he's really good in those movies. Cool. I didn't know he was part of that. The Christopher Guest crew. I mean, they he make is. some great movies. But what was it? Best in Show. Yep. Um, was this was Spinal Tap? Yep. Spin, yeah. I think Rob Reiner uh, actually directed it. But yeah, he directed that. He's good mm -hmm. friends with all those people. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are some some good films. Very funny. Um, yeah, so those two are like basically kind of like the leads, and there's also this other woman, uh, Blair Brown, who, who plays Emily. Um, so yeah, and like the first thing we see is is uh, is is Eddie in this deprivation tank wearing like a almost like a spacesuit, mm -hmm. and he's just in there floating and kind of you know I don't know just like tripping or whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then he like gets out and you know, he's like talking with Arthur about his experience and all this other stuff. And yeah, that's just what he does. He just studies these these experiences. Yeah, and he's trying to part of it too, that kind of gets lost later on in the film as his obsession grows, is that it was originally to study um <clears throat> schizophrenic behavior and yeah. to see if psychedelics could be in some way helpful to them. Um, mm -hmm. which I've heard of before. That's not a uh, unfamiliar um, line of study that I've heard in regards to schizophrenic behavior. But it's just we know more now about it. And I don't even think they call them call people afflicted with it, uh, schizophrenics anymore. I think there's a new term, uh, disassociative disorder and stuff like that. Oh, DID, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's the setup. And then there's this scene where they're like, they're at a party. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Arthur's throwing a party and it's, you know, the usual intellectual types, right? Yeah, they're smoking pot, they're drinking wine, mm -hmm. they're having discussions, you know. He kind of gives very, Emily, yeah, he kind of gives Emily very the bohemian. Yes, yeah, very mm -hmm. bohemian. There's probably mm -hmm. an orgy going on in another room. Because <laughs> um, this is coming out of the 1970s, you know, so yes. it's still very... Yes. You know, it's still very much free that, love. yeah, free love, that kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. um, 
and so Arthur's kind of giving Emily the lowdown on Jessup, and he <laughs> arrives as like yes. this, this perfect man to her. Like he's smart, he's handsome, yeah. he's bathed in light. Like he's it's like it's the birth of her meeting him. <laughs> you know, it's this conception. I, um, I love that scene. Like, let, I, I think I can't. I, I, I took a screenshot and I'm just going to show it I hope it's for good. anyone yes. who's like watching the uh, uh, who's listening on the podcast. So he's in this hallway and behind him, everything is completely blown out. Mm-hmm. So behind him, it looks like he came out of heaven and walked into the apartment. And exactly. it's like, whoa, why? It's really interesting because like. There's a there's a strong religious component with these uh, visions he's having, yeah. And it's really interesting that you depict him like this towards her, like she's basically seeing him almost like an angel or something, or like or like Jesus, Other, you know, something otherworldly, something yeah. something maybe touched by God, you know, something yeah. maybe not God in a Christian sense of the word, but like something, you know, just a deity, a deity of some kind, a demigod, you know, because he's. He kind of gives me like, cause there's the myth of Cassandra. Cassandra was like a seer who could have visions, mm. but no one ever believed mm-hmm. in her. He kind of gives me that kind of vibe as yeah. well, but he's so entrancing. She can't look away. Like this is how she sees him, not how he sees himself. Um, and there's a similar shot that parallels it at the, at, towards the end of the movie, but he's, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. all black. And that's like yeah. his descent, you know, yeah. His descent yeah. throughout the whole film. And, I like that in the kitchen scene when he's making a sandwich and they're having their intellectual repartee and it's totally mm-hmm. flirty and she's like, I'm so into him. Yeah. Um, there's a, a a poster or a painting of the an- human anatomy on the wall of a kitchen, which is really weird. Um, but there's a child in the womb sleeping and he goes near it. And there's so many metaphors of rebirth throughout this film. And that's one that kind of stuck out to me. Also, it's just kind of weird having an anatomy poster in your kitchen oh. it's it's some strong mise on sin like they're trying to give us signals yeah that's exactly. a good thing that you picked up on that for sure i didn't i didn't notice that but yeah that makes sense um but yeah there's there's definitely some chemistry between the two she's obviously enamored by how smart he is he thinks that she's i feel like he finds it equal you know because arthur kind of follows him around and does what he kind of says and indulges him but with Emily, I feel like it's more of a, a kindred spirit, spirit type thing. Seems like they have shared interests too. Like it mm-hmm. seems like she could sort of complement his interests mm-hmm. and could sort of help um, give him more knowledge. I think because yep. it seems like you know this comes up later in the film. Um, he he feels like he needs her. He kind of helps ask for asks her for help or asks you know things of her for more information, like she, he needs her to, to link together what he's really trying to get in the end, which is, I guess the theme of the film, which is like these sort of these universal truths, pretty much. He thinks yeah. that basically that's what he thinks is he can find universal truths in the subconscious somewhere or something. Yeah. And she keeps him tethered. She keeps him to the tethered to the earth. You know, he's very free spirited when they meet and in a way. So is she. And then I really love this. Um, very clinical way to approach to marriage that she has. Anyway, you know, if it doesn't work out, then we just call it quits and no hard feelings. I'm like, yeah, this is so something how she, how, how a character like her would approach marriage, mm-hmm. even though she's utterly torn up when he just is like, well, I got to get back to the study and blows her off. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. She, she it. acts very logical and clinical about it, but she's very um, emotional. Mm-hmm, she is. She is. Yeah. 
what what's interesting too so like okay there's a scene where they meet then they kind of they have this flirtatious thing where he's like they're they're talking like somewhere you know it's like a university outside of university and he's like you know he's like oh hey i'd like i'd, I'd really love to like you know go to your house and <laughs> have sex with she's like oh i have a i have a <laughs> I have, a, I, have a, I have a roommate, but she's gone at this time. And we can have sex on the couch. She's like, it's like, okay. Like, like, yeah. Like, just tell me whatever. He's like, you want to go now? And he's like, yeah, let's well, go. And then let's do this. Um, I love that because I thought their chemistry was very sweet throughout the film because it changes. The level of their chemistry changes and becomes yes. more adult as their responsibilities as a couple grow. Um, I think I read on IMDb, this is William Hurt's first major film. Mm, um, wow. And he's so good in it. He's so good. Yeah, he's um, good. I've heard he's a messed up person in real life, but I, I've always admired him as an actor. He's in a lot messed of Messed up? Favorite. Yes. Um, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so this movie makes sense for him because he's made a – he always seems to play these very intellectually smart characters who are bored by how dumb everyone else is. Um, <laughs> he plays a similar character in The Big Chill which is came out and also came out in the eighties. Um, and yeah, he's just, he always plays intellectual, very intellectual characters who are always kind of like, I know more than you do. And I'm, I'm just smarter, you know, mm-hmm, <laughs> kind of think mm-hmm. of like the template for a Sherlock for Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock only that is, I don't know, cruel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So then they're, they're at her place and they're like having sex. This sex scene was like a little, like again, the imagery, like they're mm-hmm. they're throwing it at you right up front, and it's like they're having sex next to the space heater, and it's like this giant orange thing, which is again, that's stuff is gonna come up later, and you know, it's just it's very weird, and then <laughs> they have this really interesting conversation. Uh, Emily asks him like, "Oh, what are you thinking about?" He's like, "Thinking about God, Jesus, crucifixion." She's like, "Okay." <laughs> But this doesn't scare her off, which is interesting too, right? No, because it. I think in that moment he becomes a subject. And because she studies human behavior, she studies civilizations yeah. and what motivates man and all that other stuff. And so she kind of uses it as an opportunity to both get to know the deeper side of him, the more emotional side of him, and understand what motivates him and why he is the way he is. Why is he thinking about crucifixions and Jesus Christ and while well, they're having sex? So it's, it's, she uses it as an opportunity. And I think she genuinely does care because she's so enamored by him. She she thought of him as an angel when she sees him. And yeah. the opportunity to get to know that angel in a way. Yeah, in a way. Um, and then, then he talks about, you know, when he was young, he said when he was nine, he had visions of saints and angels and Jesus. And then they stopped. And that's interesting, too, because it's almost like he's doing all this work to try and get back to that. Yeah, to that get back to that, when, like, to tap into that innocent nature <clears throat> when children supposedly can tap into it. Like, you know, we hear things about, you know, kids are open to the supernatural at a young age because they haven't been tainted by doubt or shame or anything else. That society. Makes, yeah, society. Or, makes them repressive. Or logic, you know, maybe rationalizing it as something completely different than what it actually was. Um, so he's trying to get back to that. I think when he starts talking about the death of his father, that that stamped it out because oh yeah, mm-hmm. death is finite. You can't come back from it. Um, and there, I think it kind of gave him like, oh, there's probably nothing. Mm-hmm. Or is there? Um, we just don't know. 
Exactly. And that's what he's searching for, really, is sort of an answer. Is there something? Yes. And can I, through these visions, can I find it? Yeah, not necessarily. I don't think he's not looking for heaven. He's not looking for hell. He's looking for what's next, you know, on a conscious level. Where does consciousness go? Exactly. So then after this scene, there's another scene where he's in the deprivation tank. And this is this is truly some wild stuff. What he the visions he has. Mm -hmm. So first it looks like he sees his dad sort of, I don't know, on his deathbed or something like mm -hmm. that. And then he sees and his dad's always kind of struggling and um, I don't know, seems like he's in peril. But then he has a vision of like a, a, a seven eyed goat on the head of Jesus being crucified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So what did, what, what, what did you make of all this stuff? <laughs> well, uh, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like, so his father's in a very comfortable looking bed. He's surrounded by like, kind of like light colors. And behind him is hell, I think, or the nothingness um, that maybe he's rationalizing in his mind to be hell. Because I, a part of me always wonders about religion and the subconscious, why we always see like people who have near-death experiences say they see angels and stuff like that. I think it's because it's been so ingrained in humans for thousands of years that it's almost part of our DNA and it's almost part of our subconscious. Um, so that could be a part of it as well. But like, I, I don't know if the seven-eyed goat-headed Jesus is supposed to be him <laughs> or... If it's supposed to be his father, because his, he has a quote um, that I wrote down because I just thought it was really interesting. The purpose of our suffering is just more suffering. So mm. when we die, it's just it's just more. It's just more mm. bad. Um, but there's also a moment where you see the goat on the hill, and it still has the seven eyes. But then it there's a Bible, and then it's implied that the goat is killed, and blood runs over the Bible, which made me think of Abraham yeah, yeah. and Isaac. Mm -hmm. um, which again is another father-son parallel. Um, I think it's probably just the door opening. Like his mind is starting to open more. Um, but I, that's what I have. What about you? Oh, I really, I really had almost no idea. The seven-headed, the seven-eyed goat kind of really threw me off. And I think that, we, have, we have to remember some of this might just be for making it creepier than it, it might not have a meaning. It might just be for shock value as well. For sure. I, I I feel like there's something almost in like revelations that's that felt like revelation style imagery. There's a lot of stuff too that's we get this almost apocalyptic stuff, right? It's almost like he's going he's going both to the beginning of time and the end of time. Yeah. Or the end of humanity, right? And again, that kind of fits in with revelations, right? Like there's this oh, this climactic thing, this moment when Jesus comes back and then that's the that's the end. Yeah. So that's kind of what came to my mind when I saw that stuff. It just, it felt, yeah, it felt apocalyptic. Maybe like the death of the subconscious is apocalyptic. Maybe it's something so horrible and terrible that it can only be conveyed through graphic weird imagery. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. He also has a very serious fear of death, I think, but keeps putting him in these, keeps putting himself in these situations where he's hurting his mind, not his body necessarily. Um, because he keeps opening doors and going into one room and then another and then another and then another. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. when he opens another door, there's nothing there, you know? Yeah. He, he's trying to get back to that moment for the – he says later on in the film, I'm trying to get to the first thought. It's like – Yes. It's, that's so mind-bending when you really think about it because nobody knows, you know? I, yeah, there really is. It's, it's like chicken or the egg. It, it, it's one of those super difficult kind of like how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you get there? 
right? Exactly. Was it <clears throat> right after we crawled out of the muck or when did consciousness begin? You know, like it hurts your brain a little bit. <laughs> it probably would have had to be the muck or some synapse that fired survive? millions, billions of years ago. Yeah, the first thought would have been, in my opinion, survive, don't get eaten, something something in that. Primitive. Kind of, yeah, something primitive, something within that vein, because we try to survive every day. We're still doing that. Yeah. Um, so that was crazy. <laughs> so then they gave, bring us back to, like, the normal plot, you could say. And, yeah. like, so, so Eddie um, finally agrees to marry Emily. Uh, but then they kind of flash forward, and they're getting separated. So this whole relationship, it was really interesting. It's like they kind of built it up, but I guess sort of proving that um, the relationship was them being together and being married is not the important point. I guess it's just him meeting her and what, what she means for him, for his goal, right. Of doing this larger thing, the part of his, his science of, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's tragic because she does love him, but it's not a healthy relationship at all because he's always going to be looking for the answer to truth and to consciousness and the unanswerable questions. He's always going to be chasing those. So he's never going to be a present husband. He'll never be a present father, um, even though they've made this life together and they're both successful and happy and should have everything they should, they should yeah. ever want. Like, you can use our house in Maine. And they have this great apartment in Boston and <clears throat> they have two beautiful kids and it's just, it's not enough. It's not enough for someone who is that driven to find the answer to life. Yeah. He's not satisfied. And in that scene, he even says, you know, Oh, I've done this and I've done that. I'm, I'm happily married, but my work, I haven't done. He, he's pretty much not happy because he hasn't accomplished what he wanted to do in his work. Exactly. Because he talks about, Oh, life. I, mm -hmm. I only I only published two papers and they they sucked and it's, it's like dude what? <laughs> yeah, because Arthur's like you're well respected, shouldn't that be enough? And he's like no, it's not because man wasn't supposed to be this this way. Man is supposed to be primal and I I've, I've heard that I've heard that same speech a lot from someone in my family and I'm kind of over it because it's kind of like then why do you keep putting yourself in situations where you have responsibilities? Go live in the fucking yes. woods then. Like I'm over, I'm overhearing it because if you want to be a hunter gatherer, go be a hunter gatherer. But you're too, you're too comfortable in your fushy life and your nice king size bed and food in the refrigerator. Man has grown to the point where he will die. It takes a certain type of mountain man mentality to to be that hunter gatherer. And there's still guys who do that. There's people who live in, who go off and live in Alaska and rural places like that. But he reminded me so much in that moment of this family member who shall remain nameless, who just trivializes all of the emotional connections that he's made mm. and cuts you down to feeling like nothing in a lot of ways. And it's just, it's so utterly selfish. Um, it, it is selfish. But, but maybe he has a point. <laughs> maybe man shouldn't have evolved as much and should still be the hunter-gatherer creature or something. Maybe it is genetically in DNA that we're not supposed to be civilized. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a dick in that scene. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's very selfish, right? Because he's like, he's he's self-destructing and he doesn't, you know, it's just the classic, like, not realizing that your actions affect other people, especially when you have a family and kids. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't just, 
do whatever you want because you're affecting these other people. Yeah. And like, yeah, he, sh- if anything, he shouldn't have tied himself to responsibility, but I think he did love Emily and thought maybe, well, maybe I can make both work. You know, I think we always have hopes that we can make two things work at once. Um, realistically though, what are those two things and will they, will they fit? Will they fit together? And having a wife and kids yep. is complete counter to what he's actually trying to accomplish. It is. So the, I guess the main thing that's kind of keeping them apart is that, um, well, at that, at that moment, Eddie wants to go on this trip to New Mexico to meet with this uh, Native American tribe to do a ritual with them because they have this special kind of ritual that, you know, again, this guy, he just chases the next high. Yeah, he chases and, whatever is going to be strongest to get him to the next trip. Yeah. And so this pretty much, if he gets in with this tribe, he's going to get a better, better trip, a better mm-hmm. high. <laughs> So him and uh, this other guy he knows, I guess some kind of another. Yeah, yeah, he's like a guide. He's probably he's probably he's probably uh, another academic type. Yeah, it's what it seemed like because it seemed like he knew him, you know, from the Bohemian <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so him and this guy, the the guide, they go, they meet with this tribe. The tribe says, "Yes, you can be a part of our <laughs> ritual." Um. And so the guy, the, 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 basically the shaman says, you know, if you do this ritual, your, your soul will return to the first soul. It's what he says to him, which is really interesting. That's trippy. <laughs> Just hearing it is trippy. Like, I'm going to do what? I don't yeah. I can't take that, man. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Right. I'm like, the, you, like you, the moment you, of conception or like the conception of like, man? Like, it's like the matrix. You just have to I, see it to believe it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they go into this cave they create this sort of this mixture this sort of i don't know mushrooms man mm-hmm. yeah yeah they're collecting mushrooms and and they they have to like cut his hand they have to cut him and they they put his blood in the mixture and then they stir it up and then uh and he takes it and he he goes on a trip you know and he starts seeing like fireworks uh-huh. uh like right in the cave then he sees these flashes of himself and his wife like sitting at a table in a it's like a desert or something, right? Well, at first it was like a garden. It was like a desert, but there was like the projection of flowers. And then I took the fireworks as being like the first, oh, this feels great. This is fireworks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's shocking. It's kind of scary, but it's fun. And then he's right in the garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, That's maybe the, bla- the, the flash is just like the Big Bang. Yeah, the Big Bang or, you know. The, the beginning. beginning of time. Yeah, the beginning mm-hmm. and then. I, yeah, it's definitely like that Garden of Eden. There's even a snake, you know, there's a snake yes, watching them. Snake. He takes a bite of something. Oh, it's really good. It's very sensual. And then she gives him a bite and then it really goes to shit. Yeah, and then a, this the snake starts getting around him and then it gets around his neck and it's it's constricting him and it's like uh-huh. killing him. And he just yeah, starts uh, freaking out and then there's a nuclear explosion. Yep. Um, and then at the end, it's it's like he sees her naked in the cave, and they're both naked. And then they there's like this wind or dust covers them, and it covers them to the point where they just both turn into dust. Yeah. Like the end of time or something, right? Yep. It's like they're exiled from the garden because when they're there, they're wearing white, which is a symbol of purity. And then when they leave, they're covered in red, which is a symbol of like sin and stuff like that. They're exiled, they wander, and then 
they they fade away. They fade to dust. It's almost like they become like the ashes of time. <laughs> yeah, it really did. It really yeah. felt like that. And what remains is something that's probably a structure that this giant rock that's probably been there for thousands, if not millions of years, and that remains. But people fade. People turn to dust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then he wakes up out of the... And another thing he sees is this Komodo dragon. He sees like a snake and a dragon. Which are also he, symbols of rebirth and regeneration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he wakes up and he apparently ate this lizard. Just like... <laughs> It's like this lizard is disemboweled and there's guts all over the place and they're like, Oh yeah, you ate that lizard. He's yeah. like, No, I didn't I didn't eat the lizard, I didn't do that. Like yeah, he kinda had a you had a trip and he ate a lizard, sweetie. It's okay. <laughs> it happens, you know. Um it's very weird. And this is where yeah. after this scene, after that whole trip and everything like that, that's where I feel like the movie kinda takes kinda splits from itself a little bit, where a kind of there's still religious um, elements, but it takes more of a the science horror um, path. Totally, it it does sort of pivot away from the religion. I feel like was there there might have been one other scene with a yeah. sort of religious imagery. Yeah, it's so maybe one other, but it does it does pivot now. Now it's more yeah the sci-fi and we see like what what is the end state of all of these. Um, these trips where where is he taking himself and we're about we basically sort of find that out but yeah before it's like it's like he's becoming one with some kind of spiritual entity Mm -hmm. um but afterward he's no he's he's changing himself yeah (laughs) he's changing himself he's slowly mutating everything about himself um and it's kind of i think it is driving him a little batty because um pardon me i'm sorry I feel like I mentioned this before, talking about, like, you know, how H.P. Lovecraft's characters, whenever they see something so unbelievably terrifying that should not be human, that doesn't fit into our, any kind of file folder we have, rationalizing it, their heads just kind of pop. You know, their 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 sanity is completely torn away from them. Um, and I feel like that's slowly happening to him. Like, the more he, the more, the more he has to kind of um, evolve to to um, yes. live with it, basically. Um, so yeah, but he's like de-evolving, but evolving at the same time. Yep. yep. It's very conflicting. It's like he's going backwards so that he can, um, so that he can like, he, he he can sort of be able to handle seeing these things that are forward. Yes. It's like in the present version of himself, he could not handle seeing the end of time or the end of humanity or the end of consciousness. Uh, so he has to devolve to a primitive state to be able to um, handle those those things that are like the end of time yeah. for a human, basically. Yeah, crazy stuff. There's a lot to unpack here. Let's keep there's going. A, there's a lot to unpack. So now he's back to civilization, and he, get, he they hook up with this other guy who they they give him an even bigger tank to work with. So. They, they put him in there doing more experiments and he comes out of one and he's just like bleeding. He's like bleeding from the mouth and he's having a seizure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Eddie thinks happened is that whatever he was experiencing is becoming externalized. That's his theory. His theory is that he's like now channeling something. He's channeling whatever this, this thing is from his experience, from his dream or from his trip or whatever of course they're skeptical right they're scientists and like the, especially the doctor guy he's this is some point he has 
I yeah. love his character, by the way. His tangents yeah. are fantastic. Yeah, he has this tangent. He's like, he's like, 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 because they 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 take a blood sample they um <laughs> they 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 do x-rays they do all this stuff and <laughs> there's a great scene where like so they take the x-ray and then he takes it this other doctor guy takes it to another person to, to get a second <laughs> second opinion. opinion and and he's like hey so what do you think happened to this guy like you, do you think you know something was wrong with his with his jaw is like a guy, what are you talking about? That's that's a that's an ape. Yeah, that's <laughs> the guy... gorilla. <laughs> yeah, that's a like <laughs> you got a gorilla on your hands, man. Like, don't waste my time with this shit. Get out of my office. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the radiologist's uh, reaction to that was fantastic, and then he's just kind of left with these X-rays, kind of going like, um, yeah, there has to be an explanation. That's the yeah. thing about that character is that there needs to be an explanation, otherwise his mind will explode. And I feel like that character yeah. is just on the tipping point of his head exploding because he needs to be able to explain it. He even goes on that tangent like, I'm a Harvard medical professor. Mm -hmm. I'm published. I I write for the journal and yada 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 and. Yeah, walks off screaming. <laughs> it's just—it's madness. They're mad scientists. They are mad scientists. They are mad. I, especially uh, Eddie. Eddie's just a maniac, right? Yeah. It's almost—it's almost like v Victor Frankenstein kind of shit. Or Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. There's tons yeah. of parallels for that. You know, it's just—I really want to read the book because I guess the book was written two years before the film, and the director and the author of the book hated each other. So that makes me <laughs> curious what the book's like. Um, it's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so okay. So then later, uh, Eddie without. So I I remember there was some more stuff with the wife. They yeah, get into comes, another fight. She comes mm -hmm. back from her trip from Africa, and she's recorded these baboon noises and how she believes that they're communicating with each other. Very Jane Goodall stuff that was probably being published around the same time. Um, and he's very curious because they recorded when he was in the tank when he before he had this. Um, episode the seizure he was making very weird noises like growls yeah. clicks and he wants to listen to her tapes to see if there's any kind of connection if there's any similarities between them between his noises and the apes that she recorded and um she thinks at this point he's having a mental breakdown you know friends have written to her they told her that you know he's there might be cancer it might be you know lymphoma or leukemia and that triggers a really harsh reaction from him because his father died of cancer. So that just further, you know, fuels his his need to find something if it is hereditary, you know. So I also like that in that moment, her his daughter, who's played by Drew Barrymore, a very tiny Drew Barrymore, um, comes in. She's like, can we have dinner now? And he's like, they think your father's insane. <laughs> like a mom takes her to another room. It's like, I'm yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's cute. Just one of those like, strange hum humorous moments in the film mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he's trying to convince her because she is she she hasn't completely given into the idea that he's crazy yet like everybody else has he wants her to he wants her to believe him yeah if mm -hmm. anyone will believe him it has to be the woman he, he loves mm -hmm. and again like they have a connection like her work and his work are kind of crossing paths and he exactly. needs her to confirm what he believes pretty much yeah. So yeah, then she after this conversation, she like gets on the phone with I think Arthur, right? And he's, uh -huh. she's like, "Nah, he's he's crazy. You gotta do something." Blah blah blah. Um, but Eddie, he went off on his own into the deprivation tank, Big and and then he really he starts he starts to devolve. Yes. Um, and he he comes out of the tank, 
As an eight? Yeah, so he yeah, he gets out of this tank and he is now no longer human. Like yeah. he is uh and he before he was saying, Oh or maybe it was later, but he was saying like, oh, it's something simian. Yeah. Right. Because and before he had the seizure, he was like seeing like simians eating a goat and it was very graphic yes. and it was beautiful, and then he became one and yeah. Really yeah, good. yeah, yeah. At first he was observing and then he became he was part of their group. Uh eating a goat. So um yeah and then so he turns into this ape he breaks out uh some guy is there he just beats the shit out of him um some like security guy beats the crap out of him there's another guy yeah well they you know like who knows what it is right like and then there's this crazy scene where he's like he's down and god knows where some creepy looking place Uh, probably like the um just the basement area of like the, the college or um, yeah. campus wherever they are you know boiler room yeah and then he just jumps out of nowhere and starts being beating beating people up breaks out the cops can't stop him he gets out and then he's chased by some dogs he's just like looking for food and then he winds up at a zoo yeah so like the dogs <sighs> set off zoo. i feel like this pr- that primitive oh hunt kind of a thing yes. and then mm-hmm. because they're pack animals they chase him off oh hi dog <laughs> <laughs> um say hi ellie and then yeah, they take off, and the uh, he ends up at a zoo, and he kind of and he jumps inside the rhino cage at one point, and then the elephants start like elephants. drinking their water, and then he tries stealing meat from a tiger, and eventually stumbles upon some uh, helpless goats and sheep. Which I've been to zoos; I've never seen that many sheep inside one pen. Before. I know. <laughs> I thought that was a little weird. It was a herd. Yeah, it was a herd of goats. They had probably like six at a time. But anyway. Um, yeah, and he just kind of goes into full hunter mode and needs food and needs to survive. And this is like his ultimate, I don't know, because he's already beat up people, but now he's really descending into that primal state yeah, where he totally. kills a live goat and eats it raw. Yeah, he like bashes his goat in the head and just starts eating it. Mm-hmm. But when, but that is the end of this episode. And he, he, they find him and he's just lying naked next to this goat as himself, not the, the simian ape guy. And, you know, they send him to jail. His wife bails him, wife and his, you know, Arthur bail him out. And that's kind of that. But he is now like convinced that he knows what's going on because he can remember flashes of the experience, you know, for a while. Oh, I was, you know. Uh, I don't remember much. Then the dogs chased after me, and then I went and I went to the zoo, and then I ate the goat. Blah blah blah. And he's so crazy, and he wants to go again. <laughs> yeah, like he's become addicted to it at this point. And it's not even the drugs; it's the trip they provide that he wants. You know, it's not the drugs, the high of the drug. It's all about the trip, and the trip is the only way he can get to that state again. Because now he's gone to the simian state. What's past that, or what's beyond that? Um, is what he's really trying to get to. And yes. He's pushing further and further. Yeah, and he's pushing his body further and further. Even his wife is just like, I'm concerned about what this is going to do to, to, do, do to your body. <laughs> like, this is this constant de-evolution, and then you get back to kind of where you were before. Like, what does that ultimately do to you long-term? Um, but she's kind of starting to believe him now a little bit. Um, it's kind of, it starts making sense to her. Because she hears the noises he makes in the recording, and then she realizes they're very similar to the ones she's heard before. Um, so that kind of convinces her a little bit. 
Yeah. And so they all, all four of them get together and they put him in the tank again. This time everyone's monitoring him. So <laughs> this, yeah, yeah it's, it's just like, it's like Victor Frankenstein. It's like, oh, I just need the lightning bolt to hit one time and I will do this thing. And he's it's expecting like, to come back as a simian again. That's yeah. the thing. He's expecting this to be the same same thing. But what I think was a lapse in his judgment and in his research was that he hasn't come back the same every time. He's slightly altered each time. Yeah, he's going further and further into different places. And so this time, um, a like chemical reaction or something happens. Like, a white light is exploding out of the tank and they can't control it. None of them can control it. Uh, the other two are scientists are just like blown away. They they're just totally done for. And then Emily has to try and save him. And when she goes back into the room where the tank was, it's turned into like a giant whirlpool. Uh-huh. One of the craziest scenes in this whole movie is like it's like she's sifting through a whirlpool trying to find him. I was actually surprised by how well the visual effects actually didn't seem all that bad to me, in my opinion. For 1980, I didn't think they were. They don't. Obviously, they're not perfect. But I feel like a lot of um, time went into how they wanted this scene to look. Um, but yeah, it's like this crazy whirlpool. I'm sure that might be symbolic of something. I'm not going to delve into that. But um, yeah, she like I love this shot before Arthur passes out. He's just staring at the white light. He's completely enamored by it. And we don't know what is he seeing in that light because he's only experiencing it, you know, like secondhand. And Mason is completely just knocked out. Um, but yeah, whatever... Whatever's in there is, and that's not what I was expecting personally. He's going either to the beginning or the end of time at yeah, that that's point. The thing, like we don't know, is he is he at like the first stage, or is that what we're eventually going to become, or is that the beginning of consciousness? Is it just pain, just suffering, just horror of what we're seeing? It's just like a black hole or something, yeah, you know? Yeah, like a black hole almost, and it almost seems like another symbol symbolic metaphor maybe of birth because she's pulling him from like this this wet sorry wet entrance (laughs) this wet whirlpool basically and she's kind of holding him she's cradling him he's kind of dumbfounded by what he's seeing um yeah he becomes a monster like a literal monster of just flesh and mind and it's it's crazy i was listening to i was watching the end of it while ryan was on his computer doing some stuff and he's like what the hell are you watching (laughs) because And I pause and I'm like, it's fine. He just turned into a, he just, you know, transcended time, space and reality and he's become a blob monster. Yeah. 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 He transcended. Yeah. Maybe. It's so trippy. It is so trippy. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, she's able to get him out of this situation, right? She gets him out of it. Yeah. She gets him out. And, you know, like you said, so there's a scene where they all go back to his apartment and they're trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. And the, the medical guy is like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't don't want to talk about it. He's like, maybe we were all tripping or something. <laughs> yeah. He immediately goes to have a beer and a cigarette. He's just, and Arthur's trying to convince him. He's like, why did I just spend three hours mopping up water? Why did this happen? this that and the other thing and he's just like you cannot convince me of what we just saw actually happened like i blacked out i don't know what happened like that guy's gonna be haunted for the rest of his life yes <laughs> and arthur's like ready to keep researching he wants to get more patients he yeah. wants to get more trials let's like, get data we need to like like exactly. observe all the things that happen and and yeah the guy's like nope 
nope. like, no, thank you. Is this a singular reaction just from Eddie or is it going to be the same for everyone? Does mm -hmm. your state of mind at the time of this all happening play into it? Like we need more data and Emily's just shell shocked by the whole thing. You know, she's like, he finally got off with God and you know, that, that was his ultimate goal. And she's in doubt that he, he's never loved her. She's kind of having a, a realization and yes. traumatizing and it's, it's intense. It's like, I feel like all of their emotions were very realistic for who the characters were. Um, I think you're getting so many different things from all of them, you know? Yeah. And it all culminates in this moment where he kind of, Eddie kind of sort of, I, he's learned, he's learned sort of, I guess the, what he was looking for. Mm -hmm. And it comes to is that, you know, he says truth is transitory. It's human life. That's real. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he kind of figures out he was never going to find the thing he was looking for. No. And I guess this thing related to his dad and death and the end, none of that matters. None of that matters. Exactly. Uh, he apologizes to her. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's always been you kind of a thing. Like you're the, your life, you're the happily ever after, mm -hmm. you know, he never needed to go looking for all of these things, which is what we always want them to say to us. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, and time, space, and reality. I'm right here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And of course, of course, at that moment where he realizes, he starts to de devolve again. Mm -hmm. And so he's like mutating, and then he he mutates into something, some blob. And then she grabs him, and then she mutates too. Yeah, that was into so something. scary. <laughs> Right. I was like, I was not expecting that. I'm like, oh my god, are they gonna kill like the one thing that's been keeping him grounded in reality? Yeah. Like, like is he gonna be the thing that destroys the only good thing in his he life? He destroys. Her. Yeah, and Jesus Christ. She's like, I can't tell if she's on fire, if she's in torment, or all her atoms are like breaking down, breaking and, apart. Mm -hmm. And because her hands start to like disappear, and he's like fighting being this monster, and you get flashes of him like as regular. Eddie and then Blob Eddie, like the prosthetics were so creepy. Um, it was very creepy. Yeah, and he kind of, he's able to break free, and I wasn't sure if they were gonna, I thought, in that scene, they were both just gonna disappear. Mm -hmm. Like, they were both gonna transcend, you don't know what happens to them, and that was gonna be it, but not what happens. <laughs> yeah, let me see if, I actually, I, I took some screenshots. I'll show what the hell was going on. So, yeah, it was just like really crazy stuff. Um, and this is him as like this weird red blob. It's okay. it's really crazy. Because like everything's um, broken down, you know? Yeah. Just a mouth and a nose and eyes and a brain. Yeah. And that's what's happening to her. Like all of her ass yeah, she's ripped apart. She looks like lava or something. Yeah. Like looks she's like, in hell. <laughs> she's one of those yeah. things. And she's hell. suffering. She's like screaming and like crying out in pain. I think the actress was actually in a red suit and then in post-production they did something else. So what you're seeing mm -hmm. is actually something someone made. Yeah. Someone, yeah. Made this suit on, on her. It was really well done. It was yeah. really, really well done. That's and just, yeah, that's he's, cool. that's just that was so okay. cool. What they, what he, and he's the, yeah, he's just like this weird staticky thing. Yeah. He's kind and of taking it and out. And he's fighting it. He's fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And he's, you know, he's, he's able to f stop, stop it and um you know at the end he's he embraces with her and saves both of them but yeah it's it's like 
pretty horrific. <laughs> it's, it's a horror show because at that point, all bets yeah. are off. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. And like yeah. going back a little bit to when, um, uh, what was it? Um, she kind of pulls him from the uh, the water, and they kind there's like this montage of like cells and atoms or whatever, like that whole montage of just seeing different yes. life break apart and then come back again was very, again, another rebirth of sorts. And I feel like something happened to her in that moment too. I feel like something definitely transcended through her as well. Yeah, um, it's a very for intimate sure. moment between just these two characters. And um, yeah, I really, and I, I got some Dr. Strange vibes from it as well. Mm. Like when he's kind of transcending and shit. I got that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it was very weird and trippy, but somehow this this film has a a happy ending. I yeah, guess you it could does. say. <laughs> like he finds out, and I, I really feel like that's like the the theme of this is, is so actually true. I mean, there's a lot of things that us human beings will never truly understand. No. That's just the way it is. We're just we're just really just like the one of the end stages of of evolution on this little planet yeah and um, the next stage will be yeah. the final order or is there something else yeah. on the horizon for us but what really matters is while we're alive as humans we interact with other humans and we are a species that is social and our meaning is from the interactions we have with other human beings and that's it that's all you that's all you have that's what's real for us yeah and you can chase these cosmic questions of is that people have been asking and have been driven insane by in some cases since the beginning of man but we really just don't know like we really just don't know what we have is you know theory and conjecture from science fiction in a lot of ways and people who do actually study it i'm sure um but yeah, I just, I feel like it's, it's the unknown that will either drive you crazy wondering about it, or you can just accept that the unknown will, won't be known and that we have to wait for the next stage. That's it. We're not going to be alive when that happens. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's definitely more to life than just chasing, you know, the unanswerable questions for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to enjoy your family, right? And your kids and your dogs. Your, yeah, your dog and, you know. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really like that in the end. That was, like the, that, that was like the theme. The film on a whole? or cause I felt like I didn't really know what it wanted to be at some point. I kind of went with it. Um, yeah, definitely like the, the, the fact that we go from like, you know, the, the religious imagery to the psychedelic stuff kind of seemed... Out of left field, I think. I think the one way that I could, could sort of make make it make sense is that those um, those scenes at the beginning was him. He's not getting there yet. He's not getting to what he wanted yet, mm -hmm. and so he needed to break through these human concepts first. Yeah. He needed to 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 get over the stuff with his dad. He needed to get over these kind of religious ideas that he's placed upon himself. And once he broke out of that then he could go to the next level, which was even further back mm -hmm. in the past, beyond human religion. Yes, exactly. So it's like he went he went back 2,000 years. Then he had to go back 200,000 years. Then he had to go back, you know, 200 million years or whatever, whatever happened, you know, wherever yeah. he went. Um, so it was like different phases. Yeah. 
and his his ultimate you know like he realizes that it's not worth it because it was horrible <laughs> like his experience was not great you know yeah maybe he figured out what the first thought was but the first thought was ah what is happening <laughs> you know and that's that's scary that's a scary uh realization to have and yeah he realized what was important was the here and now exactly it was something yeah he found something horrible and you know so not 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 where a human being would want to be yes exactly. he didn't find what he was looking for right like he thought that he's gonna have this aha moment and he's gonna be like oh i i finally understand the truth mm-hmm. with a capital t no there is no capital t truth for humans unfortunately no. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I, I felt like the film kind of worked for me. I mean, it wasn't perfect for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff, at, like the stuff at the end was very cool. Yeah. Uh, the practical effects, like we kind of, I kind of skipped over a little bit, but there was a scene where it was him with this other woman. Yeah. And he just starts like morphing. Um, and he's like in the shower and he's like, he's, his feet turn like, like, like he's got giant hobbit feet. Yeah, like giant hobbit ape feet. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was his final descent, you know, because he opens the door and it's just hell. <laughs> like it's hell. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just hell everywhere, and it's his last. I feel like that was the last big um, religious moment in the film before it gets, you know, into that sci-fi area. Um, but yeah, just his last final descent, and then that fine one of that shot um, after he they get him back from transforming, and he's just standing in the shadows, like I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, that that was so good. And like you said, it, it's juxtaposed with the first time she sees him and he's like angelic. Mm-hmm. Um actually have I can I can show that. And yeah, he's just like demonic, mm-hmm. right? I mean it's like it's like the exact opposite yeah, of what he was at the beginning. It's it's hella creepy. Yeah, it's really creepy. <laughs> he can't kind of you know it's a man standing there, but he's also disproportionate because of his robe, and it's just, it's a creepy shot, and he's just talking from the shadows. Yeah, it's really creepy, and again, it, it's its like he went from from this to that, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's like, you know, again, that's sort of coming back to the religious metaphor. It's like, first he was an angel, and then he became a demon or something, right? Yeah, he either become a die hero or live long enough to see yourself. Yeah. He like became Lucifer or something, you know? Yeah. The there's fallen also, the fallen angel. Yeah, there's also a statue in that first shot of him bathed in light that kind of almost looks like a saint, almost blessing mm. him. Like blessing his little golden head. And then there's just nothing. It's just barren. Yeah. But I, I really liked it. Again, I couldn't I kinda wished it had chosen if it was gonna be super uh, more religiously yes. based and more and less scientific or, you know, opposite or whatever. Um, because again, in that the middle of the film, it completely splits into two different things. Um, yes, yeah, it does. Um, you know, there's always an argument between you know religion and science. You know, like melding them together. Does it work? Does it not work? You know, um, I feel like during this time period, the, probably when there was that argument, like should religion be taught in schools and stuff like that, as opposed to ev- evolution. So yeah, yeah, it was. I, th- I thought it was a good film. But not without its, you know, flaws. Yeah, I thought it was solid. I didn't think it was like amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I guess like in terms of the, <laughs> I'm just thinking like where it would rank the things we've talked about. It's probably like below. Um, it's definitely below the Vast of Night, mm-hmm. and maybe somewhere 
I don't know. It's it's the other Earth. I feel like it'd be below those two. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, feel like First Man is is at the top of my list so far. What we yeah, watched, yeah, what yeah. Watched. Yeah, yeah. So this it has some some interesting stuff, but I feel like I feel like they they didn't have enough of a budget to really go with all of what they were trying to do. Probably. Yeah. That's probably, probably another part of why. Yeah, um, it was, I guess it was a box office failure too when it first came out, which kind of makes me. Uh, that's, I feel like that's too bad because I feel like there it again had a lot going for it, but I guess maybe audiences weren't really maybe ready for it or maybe it just didn't perform well for other reasons. You no, know, there was a lot of other movies that came out in 1980 that people probably would have rather. Um, yeah. But yeah, I hope I'd like to see more people watch it now for sure. For sure, I'm not surprised that it failed at the time. Like, you know, in the I feel like in the 80s people were like. You know, give me Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger blowing stuff up and killing people. That's what I want to see. Give me Rambo and, you know, uh, Predator. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, freaking Bruce Willis. Like, that's what people want. Oh, yeah. Action-packed movies of the 80s. Like, that just, like, took over theaters. Yeah. That whole Commando, decade. Predator, you know, Rambo. It was, yep. or, or, um, what was the, the Eddie Murphy movie? Uh, a bunch of Eddie Murphy movies, honestly. Oh, like, yeah. like, 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 uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Like, yep. you know, it needs to be funny or there needs to be action or there needs to be both. Lethal <laughs> Weapon. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, there was so. one with, um, I think it was, I might be wrong. I think it was, um, Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell were in a movie together. Mm. It was called Tango and Cash, and it was terrible. Yeah, that sounds familiar. It was terrible. Mm. It was that's, so sad. That's sad because, like, those two are pretty cool actors. Like on their own, they're fine, but together they weren't great. <laughs> oh well, sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? I mean, hey, can you imagine like that, like marketing for that Stallone Russell <laughs> in an action act cop movie? Yeah, and then the movie sucks. Yeah, the movie sucks. <laughs> I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I think I saw like who was yeah. in it. I'm like, I need to at least see what this is about. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. Well, I think yeah, that's our uh, that's our review of Altered States. So um, interesting film, very interesting, interesting director. So um, yeah, so I think that's that's uh, about all for today. Um, so thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for watching, and um, you know, may the force be with you. Yeah, live long and prosper.